and I kind of like yelled into the other room. I was like, I've got shots fired. I think this woman's been hit. Get somebody there. Um, then the child picks up the phone. I'm talking to the child and, you know, where, where's your mommy? What happened? And he's telling me, well, um, my dad shot my mom. She's on the floor. She's bleeding. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Santagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at our email, which is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and today we're going to be speaking to a woman who held the job of a 911 dispatcher. So this is a similar episode that we've done in the past long time ago, uh, years ago, where we first learned about this position. Um, the person who actually picks up the phone when someone calls 911. And that was super eye-opening for us. And we just kind of wanted to revisit this topic. Um, I know we have a lot of new listeners, so this might be the first time that you're even learning about this. Um, but it's such a, such a thankless job, such a crazy job that you don't really think about. And also one that just has such an emotional toll on the person who does this job and has to hear the things that, you know, they hear on a daily basis. So we're really curious to hear someone else's um, story about their experience, you know, in this position. So we've got the guests on the line. And as always, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, totally. So for you and your experience, I mean, why, why even get into this job? I think we, you know, can understand, um, how difficult it probably is on a daily basis. So what kind of drew you to it in the first place? Well, it, in the beginning, it wasn't something that I fully intended to do. Uh, my dad at the time was an officer with the same department and he was there for about 25 years. And he had told me that they had an opening, I guess, just out of like curiosity, if I would want to do it. And then my boyfriend at the time was also a dispatcher a couple, um, a couple towns away. And the funny story is that he had bet me that I could never do a job like this. He's like, you wouldn't be able to do it. It's too hard, you know? And so kind of like as a bet, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to apply and see if I can do it. And then, you know, I was at the job for 10 years. So it was pretty eye-opening, the things you go through there. Yeah, I mean, why originally did he think that you weren't able to do it? Was it the emotional toll or like physically, like it being a physically demanding sort of job? I think he thought because it was, for what he did, he worked for just a small little city. For what I did, I covered an entire county of about, 300, 350,000 people. And so I think he thought that was going to be too much for me to handle. And I had never really done anything like that before. I was working just in a call center at the time, but I figured, you know what? My dad's telling me about the job and growing up hearing the stuff that he's talked about. I kind of want to see what it's like. So I just applied and I ended up getting it. You definitely won the bet. I hope you got something good. <laughs> he said you couldn't do it and you did it for 10 years. So 
He owes you something. Definitely. You proved him wrong on that one. (laughs) No, totally. So yeah. Can you just kind of give us, I guess, the high level responsibility of this job for anyone listening who doesn't exactly understand uh, what it entails to be a 911 dispatcher? Sure. So we have a couple of different positions. There's uh, the call taker who takes the initial call when the phone rings, whether it's a non-emergency call or a 911 call. Uh, When they enter the call into the system, it gets sent to the dispatcher. Uh, We have the county cut up into four sections. And so depending on where that call lands on the map, it'll go to the one of the four dispatchers for one of the four sections. um, If it's a law enforcement call. Um, Now, then we would have a separate dispatcher that would do all the fire and EMS calls for the entire county, one person, entire county. And then we would have what was called our information desk. And they're the ones who confirm all the warrants for people, um, enter subjects uh, that are missing or abducted uh, that goes into our national system, enter the stolen vehicles. So all the different jobs were separated amongst the different people in the group. And so uh, you would usually have about like four or five call takers at one time. You'd have the four law enforcement officers, the one fire dispatcher, and then the one information dispatcher. And then you'd have your supervisor that's uh, watching the entire room. Jeez. What an operation. Yeah. Um, Can you kind of go through the uh procedure as for or just kind of like the timeline like behind the curtain someone calls what what is exactly going on behind the scenes like are you the person who is Im- immediately taking those calls or is someone transferred to you like and when are police or fire department called during this call like what is what is the procedure so when somebody calls 911 it's going to ping to the city uh, that you're nearest to that has what's called a PSAP. So they're the ones that uh, take all the calls for that area. So if you're in the city or in our county, we're going to be getting those calls. So the person will call 911. Um, it can go to, it just rings. And then anybody, any one of the call takers can answer that one 911 call. It's just whoever uh, presses the button to answer it first. Everybody's got headsets on. So once you hit that button to answer it, the person's immediately in your ear and you would just say, uh, we would say the name of our department. So we would say uh, 911, location of your emergency. And then the person will try to tell you where they're at. If they're calling from a cell phone, it'll do like a GPS location of the person's general area. Or if you're calling from a landline, it would give your exact address as to where you're at. So the person would give us their location, their name, the information of what's going on. Um, As long as we would have the location and a main description of what's going on, like there's a fight between two people, someone got shot, uh, there's a robbery at the store. That's all the basic information we need to just enter the call in the system. Once that call gets entered and we hit enter, it sends it to that respective dispatcher whether it's the fire dispatcher or the law enforcement dispatcher, they get it on their screen. And at that time, they see what type of call it is. Depending on the priority, we'll tell you um, how many officers need to go, how urgently this call needs to be dispatched. So if it's a priority one call, it needs to be dispatched immediately. Those are your stabbing, shootings, robberies, those high-level calls. 
uh, major traffic accidents that have injuries. Um, and then we have the disturbances, the fights. You have about 10 minutes to get units to those calls and then so on. So you see what officers you have in the area. You dispatch those officers or the uh, fire department or the medics and you send them to that area. And while it, the call's being dispatched, the call taker's still on the phone gathering information. And as they're entering all those comments on the call, in real time, they're being sent to the dispatcher. So the dispatcher is continually getting updates and continually feeding information to the officers as the call is going on. Hmm. Okay. Got it. The pressure of, of all of these situations, I mean, it's, it's uh, just kind of, I guess, a circumstance where you just immediately spring into action. And I'm just curious, like, knowing that that's all going on behind the scenes, in your role... I mean, you said in your email, the first line was, I would hear the worst part of people's lives during every shift. How do you keep your composure when I'm assuming the person on the other end of the phone is not maybe capable of keeping their composure or giving you the information that they need, or maybe they've been injured and it's, you could be talking to someone where every second counts and it's a matter of life or death. So you know, you, you said you kind of took this job as like the bet, but I guess how quickly did you realize, um, wow, this is very intense. And like, how did, when did you realize that you actually were able to do this? Because I just, I don't know. I have a hard time imagining even like with training, with everything, like just being able to keep yourself so composed in on these calls. Yeah, in the beginning, when I went through training, they would have us listen to like previous calls that have happened with other dispatchers to kind of give an idea of what's going on. And then we would sit in and dispatch and listen to the calls as they were happening. So in the beginning, you know, you hear like these little calls of like little things happening. But then when you start hearing those calls of like, they're just screaming and they're just saying get here but they're not telling you where here is that is one of the biggest challenges you have to try to get that reel that person in and get them to focus and you know tell them like you know i'm gonna get you help but you've got to tell me where you're at and then if they don't know where they're at just name like you can look at where they're if it's on a cell phone like their gps location you can kind of get a general area so we get very familiar with our city and our county very quickly. And so looking in the general area, you know, I'll start asking, are you by that McDonald's? Are you by that Walmart? Do you see this church with this huge statue in the front? And just try to get them to focus on their surroundings and get them to start answering the questions that you need answered because they're screaming, they're yelling, and you don't know what's going on they're the ones that have to tell you everything. So you kind of got to be able to reel them in and have them focus like, okay, what is that? What is that person wearing? Who has the gun? Like what color shirt? And Just try to ask them questions in a calm manner because once you start the whole yelling back and forth, you're not going to get any of your answer, any of your mm. questions answered. Yeah. I imagine that, you know, you're, I mean, over the course of 10 years, you're, I mean, like you said, you're dealing with the worst part of some people's lives. Like, <clears throat> is there, you know, any that sort of stick out to you where you feel like, you know, that one I'll just kind of like remember forever or that was, you know, or, or do you remember like the first one that you were like, wow, that was really tough to kind of 
keep my composure on the phone? Um, I don't remember the first one, but I have those couple of calls that uh, I'll never forget. Um, one of them, I was training a new employee and she had gotten to the point of her training where she was taking calls on her own. I wasn't like listening to her or anything. And she was sitting next to me and I keep hearing her ask the same question over and over again. And I can tell the caller is not cooperating. So I put my headset on and I click into her call and I can't remember what the question was that was being asked, but I asked the question and jumped on the call. Well, immediately after I answered my question, I just hear pop, 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 pop. And her um, husband had shot her uh, a couple of times in front of their two small children. So then that really got me like hyped up and immediately like the adrenaline kicked in and I kind of like yelled into the other room. I'm like, I've got shots fired. I think this woman's been hit. Get somebody there. Um, then the child picks up the phone. And um, I'm talking to the child and, you know, where, where's your mommy? What happened? And he's telling me, well, um, my dad shot my mom. She's on the floor. She's bleeding. And I'm trying to tell him, OK, well, do you have like a towel or something that you can put on mommy to try to uh, stop the bleeding? And granted, this child, I think he was like eight years old. So I have to try to stay calm and then tell him things that he's going to be able to understand. And they're trying to control the bleeding on their mom. And at the same time, I'm like, well, where, where'd your daddy go? Is your daddy still there? And he's like, no, daddy left. And uh, what kind of car does daddy drive? And he tells me and I put it in the call. And right after the officer's like yelling, that car just flew right past me. So thank goodness the child was able to give me that information. And I didn't know uh, one of the girls said that she had listened in on the call. And in the background, I never heard it. The mom is telling her son, mommy's gonna be okay. Just talk to the lady on the phone and tell, answer her questions. It's all gonna be okay. And I never heard her say that because I was too focused on trying to talk to this little boy and try to keep him calm, not realizing his mom's also trying to keep him calm. And I never even found out what happened at the end of that call. I don't know if she survived. I don't know if he went to prison. I don't know if the kids were okay. And that's a big drawback is that you never hear the end of it. Wow. So you never really get the closure of finding out how some of these stories sort of end. Right. I, I never found out anything. And that I've I've always thought about that to this day. And that happened back in like, oh man, that was probably like 2012, I think, about the time that that happened. So it's, it, I've had, I have a couple of calls that, like that that are always going to stay with me because they involve children. Those are the ones mm -hmm. that hit you the most because you feel helpless because you're just strapped to this desk and talking on the phone and you feel helpless because there's nothing that you can do but try to talk this person through it and try to help them the best you can while the officers are trying to get there and the medics are trying to get there to make sure they get there on time to save this mother. And all you can do is just sit there and cross your fingers and hope they get there in time and hope that they're able to save her life and that they're able to catch the person who did this. My goodness. That is just gut-wrenching to hear and just be a part of, I'm sure. And 
you know, we, we always ask this question with particular jobs like this, where you can experience such traumatic events throughout your workday. How in the world do you process that? How do you transition back to your normal life? How do you, how do you go and decide what you want to eat for dinner? Like after you've heard something like that, what, what are kind of steps that you've taken to be able to process and, you know, find some sort of balance in your life? Uh, well, I remember when that happened, I grabbed my trainee and I was like, we, we need to go take, go step outside for a minute and just get out of this environment. So when everything ended and our part was done, I told my supervisor, we're stepping out. And we walked out and her and I, we cried a little bit in the parking lot. It was very, when it happens, it's kind of in the beginning, it's easy to control your emotions. Because for me, I just switch them off and that's it. Switch off the emotions and just go, go, go. But then when it ends, that switch just flips off on its own. And like I, all those emotions rush in. And so at the end, I get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what kind of happened for me. And it kind of happened a little bit for her. She quit like two days later. I think that ended up just being too much for her. She quit not too long after that. So then we have that where in, if they're new, it's hard to keep them there whenever they take calls like that. But for me, since I've been there for a couple of years, I kind of learned to just let the emotion out. And then you kind of just have to, go back into that dispatcher mode, go back upstairs, sit down and finish the rest of your shift. And it gets, it takes a toll after a long time because shutting off your emotions over and over and over for these situations and then having the floodgates open and then shutting them back off again and finishing your shift, it, it does something to the mind. And that's why I ended up having to make the choice after a while that I just had to leave. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, I mean, I imagine, you know, even just hearing about, like sometimes it's for certain people, you hear about one story or one traumatic event uh, and that's enough to make someone like cry or tear up or, you know, it's sit with someone for a while. And I imagine for 911 dispatchers, you're kind of dealing with that multiple times a day, every day. So I can only imagine how difficult it is to sort of separate, you know, that from your own emotions, you know? So I, that's what, that's what I was going to ask. Like, you know, does that eventually take a toll on you? And, you know, what do you do to sort of remedy that? Um, in the beginning, I really didn't do a lot. I just kind of bottled it up and just kept on going to work and kept on going to work. Um, but then I ended up had, I had that one call that was finally, I'm done. Like I've got to get out. And it was a situation involving one of my officers. And that those are for me uh, next to children, when there's a situation with one of my officers almost getting injured or getting injured, those take a toll because these are people you hold their lives in your hands. If you don't give them right information you don't give them the description of the person with the weapon things like that you are putting their life in danger and i had that situation where i had an incident with an officer uh, he went to a burglary call uh and it ended up being a home invasion you guys kicked in the door and were robbing this house um uh, 
And the officer, of course, I don't know what's going on when the officers are there because he's not keyed up on his radio. But he finally keys up and starts yelling, shots fired, shots fired. I need medics. And at that time, I don't know who shot. I don't know who's injured. And I just switch off the emotions and I already know it's time to kick into gear. And that call lasted from 10 p.m. until four o'clock in the morning. And it was that was an emotional roller coaster. My officer ended up not being hurt, but the man came at the officer with I think it was a it was a rifle or a shotgun. And the officer had been yelling at him to put it down, put it down. And the and the guy came at the officer and the officer ended up having to discharge his weapon to save his own life and ended up stri- striking the guy. And after that situation happened, I realized I can't I can't do this anymore because I can't sit there and just listen to these officers going through this stuff and feeling like I can't do anything for them. Even though I was doing all I could, I just feel like there's nothing else I'm going to be able to do but sit at this desk. And I realize after that, I'm just going to have to try to find another job where I'm not worrying, are my friends going to get killed? Are my friends going to get injured? Things like that. Wow. That's a really heavy point. Didn't think about that where it's not always just strangers that you're dealing with. It's like you're co-workers of, I assume almost like your family in a way, if you've been there for 10 years and that is such a complex situation too, like to know what that officer went through, for example, to have to discharge his weapon, to have to take a life. And let's like the emotional complexity of that. Um, wow. So after that call, it was just, was it just everything kind of compounded and like that call happened and what did you say to yourself? Like, how did you, how do you bring yourself to leave a job for 10 years? Um, and you know, at the same time, like I imagine it was hard for you because the same way that you're caring about this officer on the call, if he gets hurt or not, I'm sure you care about this team that you've worked with. So how how are you actually able to pull yourself out of that environment and, and walk away and kind of put your mental health first? Well, it was part of, um, the aftermath of all of it. So the the dispatchers, we had to fight to be involved in uh, the mental health care of it all. So when situations like that would happen, they would have a what's called a debriefing where everybody uh, sits around and they talk about their part of the situation and what, what, what they went through specifically and how they felt. And then we had what's called a peer support team that would come in and talk to us. Well, in the beginning, dispatchers were not involved in that. They didn't think they needed to be. They weren't on scene. They're not directly involved. They didn't think it was necessary. So we fought for years to be a part of that. And then I think it was when we had an incident where three of our officers were all shot at a scene. And it took a huge toll on one of the dispatchers. And I think they finally realized, okay, you know what? They do go through this just as much as the officers do, even if they're not physically there at the scene, they need some involvement. So they started sending us peer support and things like that. Well, when my situation happened, I ended up not getting that support. Um, I wasn't offered any assistance. Uh, When that officer that was involved, he gets automatic administrative leave. So he gets a couple of days off. They do an investigation. Dispatcher, 
No, I was required to be at work that next day. No questions asked. So I told my supervisor, I'm not coming to work tomorrow. I'm calling in sick. Take me off the schedule. And she kind of looked at me like, why? And I just told her, I'm mentally, I'm done. I cannot come in tomorrow. You need to cover my, get my shift covered. And so she said that was fine. And she would have it taken care of. And I, that next day, I just had to meet with my best friend and just sit and, you know, that night when I went home, I just, I couldn't sleep. I dwelled on it so much because I was upset about the situation that happened and the ha- the part that I felt like nobody was sympathetic to how I felt. I had like a coworker asking me, why do you have to take off? Like, I don't understand. Even though she does the same job. She didn't feel that I should have to take a day off, that I should be able to just come back to work and just rally. And I I couldn't do it. And it was that situation in its entirety where I realized, you know what, if I don't have the support of my superiors, of my coworkers, I don't want anybody to feel the way I felt going through that situation. And it it took me two years to get out of the job after that. I didn't just like leave. I It was very hard for me to find work and then get the courage to actually leave after that because I would have like officers telling me, oh my God, don't leave. Like, you know, I feel so safe whenever you're working and I know I'm going to go home. And then I have dispatchers that would tell me, you know, how am I going to you know, get by without you here and teaching me all this new stuff. And I, I felt bad. I felt absolutely terrible for choosing to leave. But for my mental health, if I did not leave, I was afraid of what would happen in the end if I would just like crack or what was going to happen. I was scared of the repercussions. And I just decided it was I ended up finding another job uh, right at the peak of COVID, March of 2020. And I ended up finally deciding that um, there was a job suitable for me, took a pay cut, took a cut in hours. It was to that point where it's time to go. Do you think that that was ultimately the right decision? 100%. I don't regret it. Not the least bit. And I do like in my current job, I do run into the officers that I used to work with. And I and, you know, they tell me like, hey, like, you know, I think you're done playing around. You need to come back. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm, I mentally checked out from that. And my new job was extremely supportive. And I was finally was able to get the mental health that I needed. Um, like getting into therapy, seeing, um, a psychologist, I finally was able to seek help. And I knew I needed it. I knew I needed it. But working there, it was, I felt, I was almost made to feel like it was a weakness. Like Mm -hmm. I I should be able to get through this. I've been doing it for so long. And when I finally got out, I realized, you know, it's okay to ask for help. I can get the help that I need. And I'm in such a better place mentally than I've ever been. Wow. It's really powerful to hear you say that. And we respect that so much because it is certainly no easy feat to not succumb to that pressure, I think, of, you know, coworkers and even just being comfortable in a position. I mean, uncomfortable for a lot of reasons, but um, yeah, to, to, to put your mental health first and not stay in an environment that you knew was no longer benefiting you or uh, even hurting you, you know, so much respect to that. That's, it's so much harder 
done than said, I think in, in those situations. And it's kind of crazy to hear that it was going to be one of my questions, like how much access is this job giving you to, um, you know, like mental health needs or therapy or the debriefings, like you said. So it's uh, kind of crazy to hear that you didn't have, you know, that kind of consistent, constant support as dispatchers. And you were kind of almost getting treated like robots, like, okay, cool. Good work day. You just heard the absolute worst possible thing you could hear. See you at 9am tomorrow. Um, that that's incredibly hard, but yeah, we, um, we really love to hear that you were able to get out of that situation. Um, but I'm curious about that too. Like the, the toll that this did take on you. And, uh, I know you mentioned in the email, um, that you essentially got P PTSD from this job, which is totally understandable. So can you talk a little bit about, um, how it affected you after or even after you left and, you know, what were some of the things that you kind of dealt with and, uh, have worked through, you know, in therapy? Yeah. So I did not realize I had PTSD in the beginning. Um, and I did get, um, newly diagnosed at the beginning of this year. Um, I think January is when I got real heavy into, uh, my mental health and, one reason was because when I started my new job, we were watching the news one day and there was an incident in some city, I don't remember where, where there was a, a, a very large fire and there were firefighters trapped in a building and they're yelling mayday, mayday on their radios. Well, they were playing that recording and I'm watching the news and I immediately start getting teary eyed and I'm starting to cry. And I got scared because I've never had that happen before. And it really freaked me out. And so I told the girls in my office, like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom real quick. And so I just walked down I went to the bathroom and I just started bawling. And mm. I was crying because I didn't know what these emotions where that was going on. I'm like, man, I've listened to this stuff for 10 years. Why? And I'm not even working this incident. It's just on the news. And I didn't realize things like that were going to affect me. And it happened a second time at work. Also, we're watching the news and it was um, a like a police shootout somewhere and it was body camera footage and an officer was firing his weapon. I immediately tensed up and I freaked out. And again, I was like, I, I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I started crying again. And I think it just was reminding me of the stuff that I went through, those calls I went through, these actual officers and firefighters that I would listen to every day and hear them calling for help. And I'm just sitting there at a desk telling everybody where they're at. And so things like that would happen. Um, there was one day I was uh, driving. I can't remember where I was going. And I passed a convenience store where I had a call happen where the clerk was, um, he was murdered and he was able to just pick up the phone and dial 911, but couldn't say anything. Well, when I got the call, I was the dispatcher on that one. The call popped up at that location. I had two officers free. I immediately sent them. The officers get there and uh, they said it was just, it was a horrible scene, horrible scene. And I just hear the officers talking about it on the radio and talking about his condition. And I can't even drive past that convenience store anymore. It just, I see it and I just immediately start tensing up and I start getting anxious. And so um, things like that, I just don't know when it's going to hit me. It's very random. Mm -hmm. And like, I can hear like police sirens and things like that. I hear those all the time. Those don't trigger me. It's hearing 
the radio and hearing the officers talking, the firefighters talking when they're in distress, that's what gets me. I see a location where a high priority incident happened where somebody was killed. That gets me. And it's just, you know, I have 10 years worth of that. And, and I live in the city that I worked at my entire life. And so, you know, everything sparks a memory and I don't know when I'm going to get triggered all of a sudden when I'm with friends or when I'm just driving in my car, I don't know when it's going to happen. And so talking that out in therapy, I'm able to um, learn ways to kind of control those emotions and try to reel myself in and not get so anxious at the time and not get so emotional and caught up in it. Wow. Uh, I'm curious too, like, as you kind of do this work on yourself, like, does this job, did it cause you to almost lose faith in humanity a little bit? Or is it kind of an understanding that these are sort of outlier events, you were just overly exposed to them? Um, I mean, I think it did. Um, I lost a lot of faith in just like people. And I mean, like I said in the beginning, my dad worked for this department for 25 years. He actually got injured. I think it was my first year in. He was severely injured and couldn't work any longer. And so that was a hard hit to take in the beginning. Um, but as time went on, I was, I was losing faith in people and I was seeing so many things that I don't see on a regular basis and learning about all these people or this one person that's going out and doing all these crimes and an officer can't catch him. And you never know if you're going to run into the people that commit these crimes. And it just kind of put a little bit of fear in me and a city that I've lived in for so long. You never know what's going to happen. It really just shows you a different side of this town. And I never realized that was going to happen. And the fear just kind of like, and that anxiety really just was building and building over those years of what this town is capable of. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that, you know, all of this is sort of, it, it just like hearing about it in this conversation, like we barely are getting any details about calls and stuff, but I'm just imagining like every day going to work and hearing about these things and, and not really getting consistent help from a psychologist or therapist or, or really, you know, I, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but do they, do they like have any sort of like, I guess, coping methods that they try to teach you like in training or do they just kind of throw you out onto the job? Honestly, no, I don't remember anything that they really taught us on how to be able to like contain your emotions and things like that. They never really discussed that. And they never even really discussed um, the programs that the city has. Like, cause I didn't realize that, you have, I think it's like six free therapy sessions you could do with a city therapist. Like things like that are not relayed to you in training. And I think that's critical stuff that needs to be told so people aren't so quick to just quit when they can't handle it. They can try to get help while they're there and continue to do this job because it's a it's a huge turnover. It's a huge turnover. I know when I quit four other employees quit in the same week and they had lost, I think it was 30 employees within a two year period. Um, my last two years that I was there. So it got, it, it got pretty bad near the end. 
Wow. Yeah. You, you think there would be so much emphasis on that first, like you would almost think job training would start with that, you know, with coping mechanisms, with resources, just knowing what's readily available for you. Um, and yeah, that sucks to hear. And I hope, you know, maybe other departments are different or I hope that's something that can change because, uh, a job like this, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that anyone is able to just walk away from a job like this, like without any sort of lasting trauma that, that would be pretty crazy. Um, but again, like I said, like for you to be able to leave this after 10 years, um, I think that, I think that's just powerful across just, just for anyone to hear. I think like there's so many, you know, whether it's toxic work environments or, um, people just understanding that, you know, they're, they're in a position that they don't want to be in, or it's, it's not good for their mental health, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be as dramatic as what you dealt with in this position every single day, but it doesn't matter to just validate your own feelings and know that something's not for you or that, um, it's having a negative effect on your mental health and that, you know, you can seek help or just leave that position. It's just, it's so hard for so many people to do. I, I feel like so many people suffer through this negativity in their life and kind of suffer in silence and, and they don't necessarily know how to get out or they're comparing themselves to other people in the job, but everyone's different. Like it's, it's going to have whatever effect it has on you. So I just, again, think it's like powerful to hear that, um, you were able to put your mental health first and, and walk away from this. And I just think that's going to help a lot of people, uh, no matter what position they're in, where they feel like, uh, maybe they've needed a change for a long time, but haven't been able to take that step. And that's one reason I try to be very open about my mental health journey. Like I, I am not afraid to say, yes, I went to a psychiatrist. I went to a psychologist. I went to a therapist. I have to be medicated. I've been diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. I'm very open about everything that I'm going through because nobody was really open about stuff like that with me, whether it was personally or professionally. And I was always afraid to seek help or to take medications. And that's why I like being open because I want people to know it's okay. And that's the only way you're going to survive is if you take care of yourself mentally. And if you see people going through this stuff and you see them coming out in a positive manner, it's going to make you want to try to do the same and maybe it'll be positive for you. And so that's why I'm very open with my journey. I don't try to hide any of it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it in any way. I'm getting the help that I need and I've, I'm just in an extremely happy place right now. Yeah, that was honestly well said. And, and, you know, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk to us today and especially, uh, you know, leaving us with that as well. Cause I, you know, multiple times on this show, we've talked to someone who has dealt with some sort of traumatic situation. And at the end, they also, you know, always say, you know, uh, for whatever reason in our society, it's a stigma for people not to speak up or, you know, talk about these things, but, it is okay to ask for help and to seek the help of professionals as well. So, you know, coming from someone who has to deal with a, a lot of, you know, not only your own personal problems, but, you know, a lot of other people's most traumatic moments. Like I feel like you out of, you know, any of us are 
sort of like an expert in, in how to deal with that. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us and, and leaving us with that advice as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, I would hope anybody is able to reach out for help if they need it. I mean, it's had a wonderful effect on me. And I mean, I just hope that it can have a wonderful effect on everybody else. No, absolutely. And like Joe said, thank you um, so much for leaving us, you know, with with that note. And um, yeah, thank you for, you know, taking the time. And we know it's never easy for anyone we speak to, to kind of relive these traumatic moments that, uh, that they went through. So we appreciate you, you know, being able to share your story with us, leaving us, um, with that note. And we definitely wish you the best of luck with, with everything on, you know, your personal journey. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. This episode of Other People's Lives is brought to you by BetterHelp. I think we all wish that at times life came with a user manual. It would be amazing if there were guides on exactly how to navigate life's biggest challenges. But the reality is there's not, and it's normal to feel stuck and unsure how to move forward at times. It could be a career change, a new relationship, or like me, becoming a parent for the first time. And the closest thing that I've found to a guided tour of my own complex emotions and mind is therapy. That's because therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. Therapy has given me useful skills, self-empowerment, and more, which help me navigate the challenges that I face in life. And trust me, parenting is not easy. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. So learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash OPL. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OPL. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash OPL and get on your way to being your best self. Everyone, I have a confession to make. If you see me in glasses, it's not because of my eyesight. It's because I'm protecting myself. These are computer glasses and I'm protecting my eyes from the blue light and the strain that comes from constantly staring at a screen all day. And that's why I want to tell you about Bond Charge a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way. My favorite Bond Charge product is the computer glasses, but they also have light sensitivity glasses for helping with low mood and migraines and blue light blocking glasses for improving your sleep, which I've also used and I feel way more energized. It helps me relax and wind down better because you wear them before bed at night. Uh, plus they also have sleep masks and a ton of other products and their glasses come in non-prescription or prescription or reading options. So whatever fits your needs and they ship worldwide in rapid time with easy returns and exchanges. So it's really worth giving these a try. Uh, they will seriously improve your day. You can go to bondcharge.com slash OPL and use the coupon code OPL to save 20%. That's bondcharge, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, 
com slash OPL. Use that code OPL. Save 20% off. Help with the eye strain, the headaches, the sleep, all these things that are affecting us because we spend so much time in front of screens. And uh, go check that out at bondcharge.com slash OPL. Yeah, I mean, this th- that episode is... It's always interesting, man, to talk to people from that perspective. I mean, I'm way too sensitive to work a job like that. Like, I feel like I'm so affected by other people's trauma and stuff. Like, I would not be able to keep it together. Like, anytime I even pass, like, a funeral home and I see people outside, like, it, that even fucks with me. Yeah. And even if they don't look upset, like, I'm just like, oh, I know they're going somewhere as someone they know died. Um, so, I mean, to be, to me, it's, it's, it's kind of insane when you think about it, that a job like that, that was probably the most mentally damaging job potentially uh has no like like process or access to therapy or whatever like i feel like it should be mandatory if you're going to do a good job yeah that's really shocking to hear it sounds like almost a little dated or it's just weird it seems like the separation um because i hope too that they have those resources for you know cops and things like that but to kind of put this group of people and the dispatchers and the people on the phones in kind of a separate category is strange because yeah. they are dealing with so much. Like the average person could go their entire lives never dealing with like that raw, like human emotion of like literally someone losing their life, someone that just took a life. Like these are not things we see. Like these are things that we see in movies. These are things that like we could not we would not have a very difficult time processing if we dealt with it in real life. Even just hearing a voice going through that. It's just, yeah. it's so intense when you really think about like what that would actually be like and to like call after call after call. It, that's, uh, it's absurd. It's, it's it also, one of the craziest jobs in the entire world. And not only that, but I feel like it would be desensitizing in a way. And like, I don't even know what that means, but I know that that's like, it, that would be strange to be desensitized to traumatic events like you said like a lot of people just like a, a lot of cops go their entire career without ever shooting their gun right, right and so a lot of people go through their life without ever calling 911 yeah so it's like this person though is legit living it would be the equivalent of a cop going out every single day and firing their gun right, right. like you're, you're field, fielding these calls from like all types of just traumatic events like do you want to be the type of person that eventually is like Oh yeah, we got another person shot and killed, and a, a baby was shot by a stray bullet, and it's like, it you just lose this yeah. kind of thing, you know. It's it's very scary to live in a world like that. That's why I feel like it's a little, like I said, insane that there isn't any sort of training for this. I mean, I I remember being anxious and worried about a new job, like being working in a fucking restaurant or like a <laughs> pizza place. Like I can't imagine just being like without any sort of training or like, I mean, obviously there's training on how to do the job and how to like do it correctly, but like the mental aspect of doing that job and just be thrown into that when you haven't done it before, like that is just, that's a ton. Like that, there must be some wild turnover there as far as people quitting like, in the be. first month. Yeah. Like I'd be like, dude, fuck this. Like this is way too much for me. There's gotta um, be. But at the same time, to her point, there's there's turnover, which is good if it's not for the people. But I also wonder how much turnover there isn't when there should be, which is a person who looks at the person next to them who could also be suffering. But if no one's talking about these things and there's not resources, then you start viewing your own like trauma or whatever you're experiencing as like weakness. And 
are like, something's wrong with me. I'm weak. Everyone else is fine at this job. And that's like, that's a terrible way to live too. And that's why, you know, I love the point that she was able to bring it to, which is, you know, just greater than even her specific job. It's just anything that you're in, whether it's a relationship, a job, whatever scenario, like a lot of people are suffering. It's just a lot of people aren't talking about it. And the more that we can have these conversations and talking about it, it just, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's just someone else that can realize like, oh yeah, it's not just me. And they can potentially get themselves out of a harmful situation or just, you know, start the journey of, you know, prioritizing their mental health, which is key. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, very interesting episode. Uh, for anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, um, hit us up. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email and we will read it and uh, hit you back. Yes, yes, we will. And uh, follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, at oplpodcast. Uh, if you want to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash oplshow. Uh, we're doing donations pretty much now with the, the Patreon. So um, if you do support the show, that monthly payment um, will then be pooled together and used for different donations. And you can see, you can check out on Instagram all the um, stuff that we've done there. And uh, that's it. And shout out to all the 911 dispatchers out there. If you're listening, we appreciate what you guys do. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that is all. See you guys next time.